All right, um, we have Pastor Louis with us, and he's going to be preaching. And uh, Pastor Louis, if you could come up, if you could stretch out your hands. Uh, it's wonderful that he's going to be with us this evening. Lord, we open our hearts to the word that is going to be shared this evening. I pray that it will touch us and that uh, we will be able to receive it and put it into practice. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you this evening. and. Uh, Trust that you've had a bit of a good time and a long weekend. I had the privilege of going camping with my youngest son just uh, from Thursday till Saturday and just spent some quality time with him. Uh, I did say in the morning service, I'll, I'll also confess it here, that we were experienced campers, but I forgot the tent at home. And uh, so Natasha had to drive. She was with my other son in Ruedepoort who was performing at a festival. And she had to drive from Ruedepoort to Brits to bring me the tent at 9 o'clock at night. And uh, so I felt like a real yob. But uh, praise God, you know, we, we do these things. We make mistakes. But it's uh, great to be with you this evening. And I uh, trust that you had some of a bit of a break over this weekend and just, you know, catching yourself, perhaps catching up on some work, some studies. I trust that you did that. If you didn't, Sorry, you know, then don't feel too bad, just do tackle tomorrow. Um, we've been looking at a series this term, and we've started a bit of a journey on, on just this thought of what does it mean to be a disciple, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, and we've given it a bit of a different title, and we've called it Kingdom Living. What does it mean to live in God's kingdom? What is God's kingdom all about, and, and what does it mean, and how do I live in God's kingdom? And um, so uh, two weeks ago when we started, we spoke a little bit about um, our extraordinary king, and we spoke about how God, the king of our kingdom, is so different than any other king. And basically it is because he's a king of love. And then uh, we spoke last week about this extraordinary kingdom that we're part of because it's a kingdom built on love because its king is a king of love. And uh, this morning I spoke about, and I'm going to start in the same place as I did this morning, and then I'm going to take it into a bit of a different direction. So for those of you that were here this morning, you can think of your encouraging words in the next couple of minutes, because what I'm going to share with you now, you've heard. So think of your encouraging words for Sean and Chantal and for the Jabez house, and then I'll tell you when to pay attention again, okay? And uh, so tonight, I want to talk with you a little bit about what does it mean to be a citizen of this kingdom, and how do I live in this kingdom? And, and I think it's important to understand that, because if you're a great citizen of the kingdom of God, you'll have a great life. Amen? Because the kingdom of God is all about the best way to live. So I want to know what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom because then I will have the best life that I can possibly have. So how do we understand that? And uh, to do that, I want to make use of the Corinthians as an example of how Paul communicated to them to give them instruction in what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And, and the chapter that I want to use to do that is this very familiar chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 called the love chapter. We so often read 1 Corinthians 13, and, and so often it's done at weddings and at special functions because it talks all about love, and it's, it's wonderful, and it's, it's so nice to talk about love. And uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, as the Scripture is there, now that these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And the point Paul is really trying to make through this as he writes to the Corinthians is, that the fundamental, most important thing any person needs to excel at, if you want to be a great citizen of God's kingdom, is love. You've got to be able to love. You've got to live with love. Be a person that can love. Receive love and give love. If you can do that, 
you could live in the kingdom. Now, I hope that's encouraging for you. I have a friend, uh, Natasha and I have a friend, and, and she's, uh, she's a long time ago already has been uh, diagnosed with a great deep level of depression to the way that the doctor said she would probably never be able to get married. She can't have a job. She's really that kind of person where it's one day she's fine and she's an extrovert. She's an amazing person that can really connect with people. But the next day she's, she doesn't even want to get out of bed and it's, it's real clinical depression. And, um, and we've been journeying with her for many years because our heart for her is just that she despite her depression and until she gets healed, if that's the Lord's plan to heal her, that she doesn't feel like she is a second-class citizen, but that she can feel like she can contribute. She can be a person in a community of faith that, that's not, that everybody doesn't look at her and see, oh, there goes so-and-so, she has depression. But just there's so-and-so. She's an amazing person, how great she is, and that she can have a place of expression. And the other day I was having a conversation with her, and she said, and she started getting involved in one of our ministries more and more and really taking a leadership role and, and, uh, and, and we sort of supporting her and saying to her, look, if you, it's great that you're involved and go for it, you know, but whenever you feel like it's too much, just let us know, just communicate and we'll create space for you, it's no problem, but go for it. And she said, you know, one day in a sermon you said, all you need to do is just love people. And then she felt, but I can do that. I could love people. My depression doesn't stop me from loving people. And I think that's the foundation. That's the encouragement of the fact is that to be a great person in God's kingdom, you just have to love people. And, and know, love them because He loved you. And that's what Paul writes to the Corinthians. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background to the, of the Corinthians because when we read 1 Corinthians 13, this isn't just a nice sort of lecture on what love is that comes out of the blue, it fits into a context. And so often when you understand the context, you understand a little bit better why he writes these words. The Corinthians, Corinth was a great city in, in, in Greece. Uh, it was one of the Roman Empire's flagship cities where lots of things happened. It's this port, you know, right there at the, at the edge of, of Europe and Asia, and it was really great stuff happening there. But the people in, in Corinth had a particular way of looking at life. And, and one of their things that they were well known for is that they were really keen on climbing the social ladder. They were very aware of social structure and how a person moves up in the social ladder. And they, they, some say it was perhaps because they were trying to compete with Rome, that they were very interested in trying to be really great people and to be the top of everything. And they had a, quite an idea of how you develop and, and move through the social structure. And in Corinth particularly, one of the things that really accelerated your progress through the social hierarchy of the city is if you were able to speak well. If you had a knowledge and had the ability to deliver that knowledge, then you were accelerated through their social structures very quickly. Um, it's the, it's, they had the love of philosophy. They had the love of knowledge. They, they loved to listen. It was their entertainment. It was all over the city. You could go and listen to philosophers speak and people of great knowledge that would talk and, and it would be great orators and had great ability to communicate. And they loved this. And, and that, those were the people they revered the most, were these people that, that knew things and could, you know, that's why philosophers, so many of them came from there. The, the Greek philosophers are so important still in our day today because they really loved this. So if you wanted to be somebody that was well respected in, uh, in, in, in the Corinthian society, just be a great speaker. Know stuff and be able to talk about it very well. 
Now, when the Corinthian people became Christians, they took the same understanding and way they looked at the world into their Christian experience. And they started looking at their Christian experience, and they got really excited, some of them, because suddenly they realized, we not only now have access to human knowledge, we also have access to godly knowledge because of the Holy Spirit. And this really excited them because now, wow, we can know more than even these philosophers know. Even these great people that claim to have such great knowledge, we can actually have more knowledge than them. And if we have the ability to be great at speaking and communicate that well, then we will really climb the social ladder very fast. So they almost use their Christianity in some aspects as a, as a turbo boost up the social ladder. Now I wonder if you, if you had to think about our day that we live in. We also live in a day where people, where there's a social hierarchy and a social structure, where people want to excel. Now, who do you think in our society are the people that we look to and we say, they've really got it. They really are the people that, are, that climb through the social structure very quickly. Anybody with a thought and an idea that who do you think are sort of the like, really, man, those are the, those are the like, top of the tree people in our society. Most people want to say, oh, I want to be able to be like that person or do what they do. Anybody have an idea? Any, really, because I thought, I thought of some, but I don't, my, that's just my thought. Perhaps you have a better idea. Anybody? You can talk back. It's okay. <laughs> Anybody? Who? Just, hey? The rich. The rich. Okay, so people with money, how many of you would agree that it's, you know, so often we look at the people in the cars they drive, and you say, wow. I want, to, I want to be able to drive a car like that. Anybody else with a different view that you think, I mean, this is really the people that we admire in our society and that we think they've, they've got it made. Anybody else? So we, shall we settle with the rich? Shall we use that as an example? Okay. So if we were the Corinthians, then Paul would speak to us perhaps with a little bit of a different example. So when he starts speaking to the Corinthians, he's trying to tell them, you think this is what real great life is about. But let me tell you what great life is about. And then he starts speaking in the context of what they understood. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, it's no rocket science. It's, nobody should be surprised. But 1 Corinthians 13 is between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Ta-da, I studied four years of theology just to know that. 1 Corinthians 13 fits in between 12 and 14. Now, the reason why that's important is not chronologically, it's theologically important. How many of you know what 1 Corinthians 12 talks about? What is, what is the chapter of 1 Corinthians 12? What is the main focus of 1 Corinthians 12? Fruit of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. How to live life in the Spirit with the power and the, and the abilities of the Spirit. We call it the charismata. Is the Greek word for it. To be a person endowed by the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Who can mention some of the nine gifts of the Spirit? Tongues. Interpretation of tongues, discernment of spirits, administration, very, one of the like, like, you know, I really don't want that gift. That's a curse, not a gift. Um, somebody else. Discernment of spirits, we had, Pastor Kirion said, anybody else? Mir prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healings, miracles, great gifts that it's not our ability. We can't do this. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we can see these gifts. What does he talk about in 1 Corinthians 14? Also about the gifts of the Spirit. How the gifts of the Spirit should be practiced in a community. So Paul writes these two chapters, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, about the gifts of the Spirit. 
but he stops right in the middle of his idea and he, and he sort of pulls these two sections apart and he interjects a piece of code right there in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And he, and, he, and he says, let me just earth what I'm talking about. And he writes 1 Corinthians 13. Some people have thought that 1 Corinthians 13 is actually a document that existed on its own. That he reached and put in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. But now we don't know for the fact that that is the case. But he, he starts saying to them, listen guys. Before you get carried away with how great it is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And to have the gifts of the Spirit. Let me just tell you that... It's not how powerful you are in the Spirit that makes you a great citizen of the kingdom. As great as that is and as important as that is, let, let me just remind you that what makes you a great citizen of the kingdom is your ability to love. It's your ability to walk in the love of God. And particularly for the Corinthians, because they had this great desire and, and loved knowledge and being able to speak well, he starts in 1 Corinthians 13 with these words. So well known to us. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 he says, If I speak in the tongues but do not have love. Some of your translations would say, If I speak in the tongues of angels and of men. But, and I think I may have taken that portion out because if I speak in the tongues, that doesn't make sense linguistically. But if I speak in tongues but have no love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's not just saying any words to the Corinthians. Can you see, can you recognize that he's saying, that which you hold so high, I want to tell you that means nothing if you don't have love. So perhaps if Paul was writing to us in our society today, he may have said something, you may have all the money in the world, but if you have no love, you have nothing. Is that okay? Can I do that? Because perhaps that's what we think is so important. Now, I, I do think there's specific connotation here because of the gifts of the Spirit. But I also think he's trying to communicate culturally to the Corinthians that we're struggling to know what is the difference between a Corinthian Christian and a Corinthian everyday person. He's saying, this is the key difference. I'm, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... In other words, I have access to great knowledge, both foreknowledge and insight into current events. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now he's not saying don't speak in tongues. He's not saying, don't prophesy. Those things aren't good. He's just saying, do those things, but make sure that the foundation of it, the origin of it is love. Everything in the kingdom comes about because I understand God loved me first. And everything I do is not to gain His love, but is to respond to His love. This evening when we took up the offering. I hope you understood that you're not giving money to God to earn favor with Him. That you're not buying for yourself airtime with God. I remember years ago I had to apply for an, a, 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 a visa for, uh, to go to the U.S. In those days they had a system, and I think some of the, the still do it. You, you go to a store, I think I had to go to pick and pay, and pay a certain amount of money, and that buys me five minutes to speak with the embassy. Literally. 
They gave me a code and I could phone, punch in that code, and then that gives me five minutes to speak to the embassy. And it literally it cuts off, then you have to go buy five more minutes. And, and sometimes we think, if I give my money in church on a Sunday, then I'll buy time with God. Do you know you cannot buy time with God? Because He's already said to you, everything I have belongs to you. I'm not giving money to get something from God. I'm giving money because I've gotten everything from Him. It's a response of my love for Him. I don't pay my tithe every month diligently because it's a law or because I'm trying to make sure that God's on my side. I give my tithe because I know God is on my side. And I respond. The kingdom asks everything of us. God is not content with a bit of your life. He wants your whole life. How many of you have ever had this situation where if you're blessed to have an apple that you cannot put an extra memory card into? If you, you, you're like, you know, remember those days when we still had 8 gigabyte phones or 16 gigabyte phones? You know, my, my iPad has a, it's amazing, has a 512 gigabyte hard drive in it. I can just put whatever I want to on there. But how many of you know that there were days when suddenly your phone says to you, there's no more space, you need to free up space so that you can download that app that you wanted or that photos? What did you have to go do? Then you delete some stuff so that you make space for what you want. Sometimes that's how people interpret Christianity. They think when we get saved, I need to make space for, for God in my life. So let me go and delete some stuff out of my life so that I can have space for God to come and live in my life. So I'm going to, instead of, you know, partying late on a Saturday evening so that I can't go to church on a Sunday, I'm going to party and just not go home so late so that I can get up on a Sunday morning and uh, go to church. And great, there's some churches that only starts at 9.30 like our service. That's not too early. I can manage that if you want to come to a morning service or or on a Sunday, I'm going to come to an evening service, make sure my homework's done and my, my, my studies are done and everything's done so that I can come and, and then I, give, I make space for God in my life. And the, more, the better Christian I become, the more space I make. How many of you know God's not interested in space in your life? He's interested in your life. When we were preparing for this series, uh, around the table that we sat as we were brainstorming this series, one of the guys had a great thought, and, he, and, and, and it sort of came out to this. How do you make space for the one who fills everything? Because you know God fills everything. You cannot say to God, there's your space. And being a disciple, being a child of the kingdom, is I give everything to him because he gave me everything. Aren't you glad God didn't come and give you a portion? Jesus didn't die for you a portion. He opened his arms and he said, everything is yours. Everything. I love you completely. How do you respond to a God like that? How do you respond to a God that says, I love you with everything I have? Is it appropriate to say, oh, that's amazing, Lord. Here's my 10%. Is that appropriate? Jesus said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the journey of our lives. That's been the journey of my of following of, of Christ now for 40 years. Every day I'm learning to respond more to His great love. He still loves me the same as He did 40 years ago. I just get to know it a little bit better and respond better. And this is what Paul is saying to us. He's saying, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you've got to love God. You've got to love with everything you have. 
Not in portions, but with everything. Receive His love for you so completely and then give back His love with everything that you have. Otherwise, you gain nothing. You see, if you, the Corinthians, what they would do is, is they would try and get favor and credibility as Christians. Because this is how they did it in the, in the worldly society, in secular society. So they would give money to the poor. But it was actually a way of saying, look at me how good I am. Look how nice I am. And, and, and if they did that, then people would say, wow, look how spiritual that person is. Woo, let's elevate them. And, and they're moving up the Christian social ladder. Paul says, man, you're wasting your money. If you give everything you have to the poor, but it's because you want to, what is the words there, so that you may boast, so that you may feel good about yourself, so that you can elevate yourself, you are throwing money down the drain. He's not saying your money isn't helping the poor person and stop giving. He's just saying the thing that you think you're gaining, you're not gaining. Because God doesn't do that transaction. That's why Jesus said, don't let your left or your right hand know. Don't go stand on the street corner and tell people. Do it quietly. Because in the kingdom, you're not trying to get something. You're responding to what you already received. Don't waste your money trying to buy favor. Don't waste your money trying to get credit. Because everything belongs to Him. Everything you have is His. Now what does this mean for us today? So those of you that have been thinking, now you need to pay attention. I've been reading some studies lately that has been quite interesting. For most of our time that we've been aware and that we've been keeping an eye on these things, we've always considered the people in the world that feels the most alone are the elderly. You know, the retired people, the people who are perhaps put in homes, people that, whose families are busy, they don't get time to see them. We've often understood that that's a really, can be a very lonely period of a person's life. But studies now show that the people that feel the loneliest, that feels the most alone, is the age group between 18 and 22. That right now we live in a world where there's a remarkable increase on how alone people feel, disconnected people feel. Which is very interesting because we live in the most connected time of all times. How many of you remember that recently there was a, one of the cell, cellular companies, uh, service providers that had an advert that spoke about young people and, and it was this very vibey, funky, sorry for my old word, funky, groovy, if, they, if I really want to show my age, groovy advert of, you know, just great connection. And the adverts, the point of the advert is a Celsius advert. It, it was to say, you say we're not connected, but look how connected we are. Because every day, every moment, I can communicate with hundreds of people. I can see hundreds of people's lives. I can do all of this. We live in this tremendously connected society. But yet, we're recognizing that people are starting to feel more and more alone. Do you think this message of Paul... That love is the foundation of everything. is still relevant in our world today. Do you think people in our world are crying out saying, what is love? What does love mean? Because we've developed ideas about what we think love is. And we think we understand love. But we're starting to see that so many people just don't feel loved. We've got great slogans about love. 
We've done great effort to try and deal with all kinds of prejudice and all kinds of of things that would remove people from one another. We've taken great strides in bringing equality to people and and making sure that they're equal rights and that that people have access to to basic things. And and we're working so hard at that. But yet on the other side, we're seeing people feeling more and more alone. Why is that? What is love, really? Because God is not into any group of people feeling lonely. I mean, that's a sad state of affairs. If you, if you realize that you have never been alone for one second in your life. Do you know that? There has never been one moment that you've been alone. Now, some of you may find that scary. But before you were born, you were not alone. When you took your first breath, you took it in the presence of somebody. Even if you were left alone, even if you were given up. There was somebody there with you. And not just somebody, but somebody that loved you perfectly. That only had good intentions for you. Only dreamt good things for you. And not only dreamt good things for you, but worked very hard every day of your life to get you to know how you loved. That's the world we live in. And obviously I'm talking about our Father, God. Through the Spirit that is everywhere with every person all the time. When you say, I'm alone, You're just not seeing something because you're not. Now, I'm not disparaging that people can feel alone, and it can be very real. It can be, it can be very hard to feel alone. It can be, it's the toughest thing in the world. I'm an extrovert by nature. I love being with people. I, I recharge with people. So there was a time in my life where I recognized I couldn't be alone. It was so hard for me, and I had to discipline myself to feel Good about life and myself by being alone at times. I got that a bit out of whack. But it's hard to be alone. But you live in the presence of God. You live with Him smiling over you every moment of every day. You live with Him, with His hands around you. Now you may not know it, and that's the tragedy. And that's why we are on this earth as Christians to spread the good news. The good news is you are not alone. But people don't know that. So they live like they're alone. So our generation cries out. Our young people today cry out for connection. Cry out to say, I want to feel loved. I want to feel part of something. Now, there's different reasons people hold up for why we have this battle in our day and age. Some say it's social media. And depending on how you feel about it, it, you know, you can agree with it or not. You see, the, the challenge with social media, evidently, is that while I have this device or whatever device that connects me to more people than any other generation has ever been connected to. I mean, I've got friends from school that I'm now connected with. I had, I had uh, on Wednesday evening, supper. With a friend of mine that I last saw 30 plus years ago that now lives in Cape Town. That we used to go to youth together here at Hatfield. Because of Facebook. We can be connected. We can, I've, I've, get, I've seen his daughter. I've, I keep track on his life. He keeps tracks on my It's great. I'm more connected. The challenge is it is 
unedited connection. It is, there's something between me and this person. And what we do is we take great amounts of time and effort, especially our younger generation, because we've got this idea in mind that says, this is my perfect self. This is my avatar. This is who I really want to be. So I edit myself, my information, my activities to broadcast that idea of my perfect self. And that's the, the, that's the me that connects with the perfect self of the other person. I mean, I'm still in that generation where I type something, post it on Facebook, and later go, Ugh, I shouldn't have done that. And then I'm so thankful for the edit, like, edit, change that word, and you know. But I, I watch others, how they take such great care to curate the words, to, to put everything in such a, to show this is, this is who I really, and I don't know if you've seen this, there's now an uptake in, in, in um, uh, plastic surgery, where people are actually taking their photo of their avatar to the doctor and say, please make me look like this. Because my projected self becomes my identity. Now the challenge with that is you cannot have real relationships with fake people. So perhaps that's what some sociologists are saying. That's why connection is, is so, real connection is so difficult. Others say it's not because of that. It's because of the pressure that our younger generation feels. Younger generation now evidently is, is so caught up in the competitive competition of life that if you want to make it in this world, you really have to stand out. So therefore you have to work harder than any other generation has worked. You have to, they, they feel bad about any downtime. Studies have shown that the, the, the amount of students at Varsity now that says they spend about 16 hours a week socializing with their friends has halved in the last number of years to 18% in the study group says we spend time with our friends on a regular basis, just socially hanging out. And the reason they give why they don't is because they feel so bad that, that they're going to fall behind because the other people are working so hard to get the good job to get the internship, to get the, the, the scholarship so that they can get ahead. I cannot slack off. I must work. Perhaps there's other reasons that you can think of. But what do we say in a space like this and in a time like this to people when we say to them, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Is it still relevant to say to people, you're loved. And if you want to have a great life, learn how to love. To be loved and to love. And I think it's important, and that's what I, I, I would encourage you. Take some time in 1 Corinthians 13. I don't have time to walk through it this evening. I think sometimes the problem with 1 Corinthians 13 is we've romanticized it. We've got, oh, it's so cute, it's so nice. But we don't engage with the truth that Paul is really saying. When he defines love, he says love isn't love. Love is something. You can get hold of love. You can have love. You see, because we live in a culture and in a time where we love love. We love the idea of love. We, 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 but we've made, the, made love some impersonal force. 
some good thing that floats around in the world, some, something that we, that we try and grab hold of, but it's, it's not tangible, it's not real, but, but we have a sense of what it should be. We've got this romantic sense of what love is. And we look for it in each other. We look for this perfect love in each other. I think this generation more than any buys into the idea that there's somebody perfect for you out there. I'm sorry to say, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I don't think there's one perfect person for every person on this planet. And if you just meet that one person, then everything will be perfect. I'm sorry, I'm not cynical, but I've been around long enough. I've, I've married too many people that are perfect for one another, and yet they have real problems. They go through real struggles. And it's how they deal with those real struggles as real people that really gives them a great relationship. But it takes time. But we've made love this something, this, this positive feeling, this, this something that's going to make everything work out for all of us. This, ah, oh, we just want to love people. But I love the fact that Paul takes the time in 1 Corinthians and throughout the scripture, God takes the time to tell us love is something and love is not something else. He defines love. He draws a line and he says, this is love, this is not love. Love is real, man. When Jesus came and he wanted to tell us that God loves us, he didn't just come and float Casper the friendly ghost, come and float above the earth and just say, God loves you. Just feel the love, baby. Just just come on, just step into love. Get rid of your negativity, man. Give up on your hate, just love. Aren't you glad that that's not what Jesus, what did Jesus do? He put on flesh and he came and loved us. He did actions, he took actions, of which the greatest was he died on a cross, a horrible death. And that was the most loving act that throughout the universe And I know we struggle with that. How can such a horrible act be love? It's because we don't understand how unloving we really are. We've really sinned. Our sin is real, man. It's not a social construct, a moral or ethical relative description. It's real, man. We really sin. We really have bad things in our lives. We all have the potential to really harm other people. It's just the way it is. None of us are immune to really hurting somebody else. And we took all of that ugliness and we threw it upon an innocent man that deserved no beating and punishment because we didn't know what to do with that kind of love. We couldn't handle it. It made us feel so inferior. It made us feel so bad about who we are that we, that we put him on a cross and we beat him and we said, you are irrelevant. You have nothing that you can offer us. We don't want you. And when he died, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't hold this against them. What amazing love. What real love. Not airy-fairy, just feel good about life, love. Real love. That somebody paid for. So when I tell you today, God loves you, you better better know that it's real, man. It's not, He's feeling good about you. It's the kind of love that will pursue you till the day you die. That will walk over coals of fire. That will break through walls to try and get to you. 
It's the kind of love that will take a beating so that you don't have to take it. It's that kind of love. It's real love. And that's the love that Paul invites us into. And says, come on. Take hold. Don't just love love. Allow God to love you. And this is sometimes where I think it gets difficult for us. Because if you want to receive God's love, you have to give up on the fake love. Because if you're drinking the fake love of this world, you will not develop an appetite for the real love of God. But at some point you have to stop and say, Lord, I don't want this stuff anymore. I want your love for me. When I was about 20, I went through a time in my life where the Lord really broke into my heart and started showing me my, my selfishness. And particularly in my relationship with girls that I was having. At, I'm now at the age where I need to get serious about relationships and you know, starting to think about, okay, now, where am I going? And I'm, I'm training for ministry, and I want to serve God, and, you know, I, I want to have the right relationships. But I started recognizing how in my life, I was looking for something in relationship with girls that, that, that was about me. It wasn't about love. It was about my needs. It was about me fulfilling some of the things in my heart that I felt inadequate in, that I felt, you know, that I had massive questions in my own life. And I was using those relationships to, to soothe that pain in my life. And one day, I, I had a, a, a girl that I was a good friend with. And you know, when the friendship starts coming to that place, you've been friends long enough now, and you really like each other and enjoy each other's company, and you're going to the movies together all the time. At some point, you look at each other and you go, is this going to be more than friendship or are we just friends? How many of you have been at that awkward moment in your life? Especially awkward when you don't feel the same thing. And so I was struggling with this relationship. But I was so desperate to not lose her that I was sort of forcing myself to, to go into thinking romantic thoughts about her. And, and so I was praying and somebody was praying with me, a leader that I was accountable to. I went to them and I said, and, and, and they prayed and they came back and they said, I feel the Lord saying to you that you've eaten the scraps so long that you are not ready for the feast that I have prepared for you. And he's not saying this girl is the scraps. He was saying that which I was looking for in relationships were the scraps. But God had something so much better for me. But I had to give up on eating the scraps and seek his best. So I had to go through a period of time and how do I reorientate myself within that? Now, relationships are messy, man. You're never, never going to have it perfectly. You're never going to have it easy. If, you, if you're single, don't be afraid of relationships. Be responsible, but don't be afraid. Take chances. Take risks. Responsible risks. In terms of, you know... I'm so afraid sometimes our Christian young people sit in a closet and pray all day long and they think their significant other is going to appear to them. Just out of the blue. Just boom. And they're going to have a word from God that guarantees them that this is the person and everything's going to be fine. Let me tell you, some people have that story, but that's not my story. Many people don't have that story. You be responsible, but you put yourself out there, man. Okay, I digress. 
Paul writes to us and he says these wonderful words, love is patient, love is kind. Do you know why love is patient and why love is kind? It's because God is patient and God is kind. God is love. Paul says, I've got to learn to be patient because God was patient with me. How many of you know that God waited for you? God allowed you to go do your circles and to walk your roads. God allowed you to sin. He allowed you to rebel. He allowed you to do stupid things. And He patiently waited for you. He's patient. How many of you have friends that you must be patient with them? Because they're doing some stupid things. Do you just write them off? Or do you, are you patient? Sometimes you have to distance yourself, not be drawn into their stuff, but you can be patient and be, because not only is love patient, but love is kind. God did not only wait for me patiently, but He offered His mercy towards me. He stretched out to me and He said, come, I want to forgive you, I want to love you. When it's not, don't let this stuff separate you from me. Come, I love you. My mercy is real. And then he carries on with this great list of love. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love perseveres because love always wins. God never gave up on any of us, and He will never give up on any of us. Because He really knows that if He loves us, He can get through to us. Love is the thing that will change us. Now, we don't all choose it. We don't all receive it. That's our choice. That's part of the love deal, that it's, free, it's for you to choose. But love really brings the kingdom of God. And therefore, you will never find a person of whom God says, I've given up on that person. I don't love them anymore. Love never fails. Love never stops. And when I've received that, I can have that generosity of spirit towards other people. But I can't do it if I've not received it. Because every now and then I want to give up on somebody. Every now and then I want to draw a cross through somebody and say, I'm done with that person. They're never going to change. And then I hear God saying, aren't you glad that I never did that with you? I never crossed you off the list. I never stopped loving you. And I say, Lord, help me. How do I love this person? How do I keep a heart of love open towards them? Love never fails. Love never fails. I want to come back to where I started and then I'm ending. All God asks of us is to love. The way to be an, a great citizen of the kingdom of God begins with love. That's why Jesus said, the whole of the law is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything is about those two things. It's not that difficult. It's impossible. It's impossible for me to love the way the kingdom wants me to love. You know why? Because... It's just impossible because I'm not that good. But you know when it becomes possible is because I receive that love from God.
when I allow Him to love me, that love is, is brought about in my heart. And then it is spilled out through my life and I give it to others. And it becomes this amazing thing. As I give, I receive. Because this love, you don't get merely by getting it. You get by giving it also. But it begins by God taking the initiative, holding out a hand to say, let me love you. Now, for God to love you means He wants to look you in the eye and say, I know you. I know you. And that may be a scary thought. I don't know if you've seen the movie Paul, Apostle of Christ, where he sits with that Roman jailer at the end of the movie and he says I pray for you that you will know the one who knows you and who loves you I want to pray that for you tonight that you will know the one that knows you despite the fact that he knows you he loves you there's nothing you can hide from him there's no thought that you have thought that shocks him that pushes him away from you there's no action that you've taken that keeps him from you I've done many things in my life that I am extremely, that I regret extremely. I've hurt many people in my life. That, that some of them haunt me because I've never had the opportunity to correct them. And I probably never will. And God knows every one of them. And He says, I love you. I love you. God loves you. He knows you. And He loves you. Let's just close our eyes this evening. We started in a time of worship with the Father saying to us, I'm the Prince of Peace. You can only have peace because you loved. Father, I just pray for Your Spirit to come into this place right now. Come Holy Spirit. Worship team, can you guys just come and play? And perhaps we can work towards how he loves me. Is that okay? But just don't mind the worship team now. Just, just can you be with, them, just with the Lord for a moment? He knows you. He knows your every detail of your life. He knows you. You are not alone. You may have come to this place tonight and you may have felt alone. I want to tell you He knows you. He looks upon you. He created you. He delights in you. As a person, He loves you. There are things that you do that is not His will for you. It's harming you. But He loves you. And He's not going to get you to not do those things by punishing you. He's going to get you to not do those things by knowing, letting you know you don't have to do those things because He loves you. He's taken care of every one of your needs. Every one of your desires is important to Him. He will change your desires where they need to be changed so that you can have the best life 
but he knows you. Can you be at peace right now while you feel the Father looking at you, looking through you, seeing you, knowing you? Do you trust Him enough that you will not hide things from Him, but that you bring yourself and say, here I am, Lord. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. This is me, Lord. And then, can you allow Him to love you? Can you take the biggest risk in the universe and say, God, I will be loved by you. It's the biggest risk with the greatest reward. It's a risk because it takes everything you've got. But it's the greatest reward because it gets you to everything that he's got for you. Lord, love us this evening, I pray. I pray that no single person in this room will not know that they are loved by you. Not an emotional, airy-fairy, good, positive feeling, but a love that is real. I wonder if we can stand and sing this song, Oh, How He Loves Me. And I know we've run over time and I always take liberties, so I suppose it comes with a job. I can, I'm allowed to take some liberties. Sorry, Kewin. But won't you stand and let's sing this song. And as we sing this song, I want to invite you, there's, as Kewin said earlier, there's a prayer team here. But if you feel tonight, I just need to, I need to step forward and somebody must pray for me that I can experience the love of God. I mean, that'll be the greatest privilege for any of us to pray that for you. As people that pray, we're not perfect. We don't love you perfectly. But we can help you experience the perfect love of God. So as we sing the song and you feel you want to be prayed for this evening, come to the front. Can I end here? Let's sing the song a couple of times, and if you feel like you're finished, you want to go home, then do that. But please remember, we have the Connect. Connect's happening in the ministry area. So as you go out those doors, just through the next doors in the ministry area, come and hang out and just spend time with people. Have real connection with people. Look at somebody in the face and tell them, this is who I am. Don't edit. Hashtag real me. Can we do that? Can we start a movement? Hashtag real me. Because real people can connect with real people and experience real love. But let's just focus on the Father right now as we sing this song. Thank you, Luana.